Hi, friends. I'm Chandra Sanchez. And I'm Misha Lazera. And you're listening to Bandwives. cute are you today i got dressed took a shower look at you those days are just so magical when you actually take a shower in the morning and then get dressed in real human clothes <laughs> there's a, surely a subset of listeners who are like work at home or are writers or artists and understand the feat yeah of like showering in the morning and getting dressed totally i put literally just like a shirt on yesterday and claudia <laughs> was like oh are you like going somewhere are you going out <laughs> yeah are very low as well yeah my kids do that too the other I got like put like regular clothes on for Keaton's birthday party on Sunday with friends and family and they were like where are you going it's like there's people coming yeah so that's me today I met a friend earlier a writer friend we were commiserating over the writer life what did she uh, she or he have to say about it? She has my same agent. Okay. And, um, and I really love her. We met through our husbands. He owned, Her husband owns the studio here in Charlotte. Taken Back Sunday is recorded at many times. And so her book is on sub submission. with She writes YA. And it's just been... That process can be so brutal. You're just waiting. And every minute feels like a, a day. And every day feels like a lifetime. <laughs> so true. And then the timing. So much of it is just timing. Like The material can be amazing. And it's just the wrong time, which is it, worse. <laughs> it's just like the industry's a little bit of a mess. You know, it's like there's just like they just get email after email and they have these cues of novels to read and then they put, you know, give it to their assistants and their assistants are maybe reading like two pages and then kind of pass pass, you know, and you just it's just like um it's pretty brutal. It is. And it's so subjective because I feel like even if, you know, it's like an assistant may not be into it, but maybe the person making the decisions would have been, it just doesn't get that far sometimes. The gatekeepers be gatekeeping, yeah. and it's kind of a tricky industry because a lot of the young assistants are 22 years old, interns out of college because of the nature of the industry and the lack of money. Yeah. Yeah. So we were just commiserating. Well, I'm glad. Now we just commiserated by proxy. <laughs> I know. I know you know how it is, too. And it's like sometimes you got to take things into your own hands, but it's hard because the industry is pretty unwieldy. I don't know. It's very true. I mean, even with like, you know, right now we're, we're working on getting distribution and it's like the, even environmental stuff, right? It's like the Panama Canal, they can't bring as many boats through. So now shipping costs are like 30% higher. And like, so that kind of trickles down into publishing and into what people can take. So, right. So it becomes the difference of being able to print like a beautiful hardcover versus a paperback. And what's realistic. Um, and everybody's just trying to do the best that they can with like where we are. You're so good at that. You are, you inspire me that you even know those things and you just deal with them as they come. Not everyone, I just feel like very overwhelmed. And then I get into this little kind of baby mode where I'm like, I just want to create and be the artist. But that's not the reality if you want to do it for a living. I kind of know things, but just through the grapevine because I have really good people. <laughs> so that's the key. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Mm -hmm. I don't really, you know. So yeah, yeah. same. Okay. Same. All right. Mm -hmm. I have to tell you that I have tried so many things. I was going to just like blur out my whole room. My house is like a war zone. It is a hellhole here. There are clothes <laughs> and glitters and sparkles. And for the first time, it's me. A hundred percent. Oh, and you don't love that. It's probably hard for you. I feel very out of my element. I feel like a whole different person. Like our bedroom. It, it 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 looks like a hoarder house and it gives me anxiety walking into it. And I know I'm sure 
that it's giving everyone around me anxiety. Maybe not, though. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> don't, don't worry about that. Adam is always so much like that. You guys are so similar in that way. But I don't even notice. I don't know about Claudia, but I'm assuming he's not too worried. He'll notice, like, the weirdest stuff. He, like, the house could be on fire. And he'll be like, you know, you left three coffee cups around. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, what? what? That's, like, the hill we're going to die on right now? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, dude. Yeah. But, so, but he, has, he hasn't mentioned anything. But for me today, I was like, I have to just start putting stuff in suitcases because it's it's just gotten out of hand and I feel unmoored. So when are you technically leaving? You don't even leave till like the 16th. Oh, the, s- the same day of the first show? Or maybe the day before. The night before we leave. Okay. Yeah. 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 So it's like maybe the fifth Thursday, okay. whatever that is. You're, that's yeah. good. You're taking your time. <laughs> uh, but we're getting, you know, we have rehearsals coming up, like mm-hmm. full rehearsals with everybody in town. And it like happens to fall in the Super Bowl. So we'll have like a little Super Bowl hangout. Um, and I'm like, I can't bring people into this, <laughs> into this hellscape. Oh, my gosh. I'm sure. Yeah, I know. Ours is Delia's yeah. vomited in here. It's- Delia's. <laughs> I love Delia's. Love it. <laughs> I've been waiting to make a Delia's reference. That I just remember holding that Delia's catalog when I was, you know, 13 or something and just could have circled everything. Yep. Um, there's something I want to talk to you about that's totally changing the subject. I'm thinking about getting a haircut. Whoa. <laughs> it's up. been a long time. What do you mean? By, when you say haircut, do you mean like an extreme haircut? Yeah. Feel free to talk me out of it. I'm thinking... Like the did you yeah. just motion at like your ear? No, well, like but like my chin, like a bob. Yeah, you don't. I don't like the way you said Hold that. On. I need to see you. No, just the word. Just the word. I need to. Look. <laughs> you will look great no matter what you do to your hair, and I think that would actually be really cute. Just thinking like, and then I know it's pretty blonde, but even like more blonde mm-hmm, bob, like, a... like spring vibe. Bob. Now that Coachella's been announced, I feel like that's my whole aesthetic, and so that's I'm nice. just like thinking. Like pixie, full like manic pixie. Yeah, and like blonde, short, windswept desert look mm, is in I my actually mind. Love this. I think it's gonna be great, and it'll grow back out if you don't like it. So what? Yeah, yeah. that was like you're I, fourteen inches off. No, I yeah. So anyway, that's what I was. I'm I'm thinking about it. That's my big change. It might feel good. It might feel like freeing. Yeah. I don't know. I've had this visit in my hair, like definitely through the pandemic. It was with me. It's exact same. It's been the same for years. So it might be time for change. It's hard though. It's hard yeah. to change after you've been the same for so long. At least those last like four inches are pandemic hair. Got to get rid of that vibe. <laughs> yeah. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> so that we're do. I want to might, you know, cut my hair, blonde it out. I might even, you know, change my part. Things are getting crazy. Oh, gosh, I, I might, I might. And then I'm paint, we're painting the bathroom paint in the hallway yellow which actually we talked about yellow and i think it's going to be like a golden rod and which is a fun word to say and look at anyway i just had like three cups of coffee and i was just (laughs) i just met my friend at a coffee shop and then like two espressos after having one at home so i'm amped i think it's great i love this misha because i think it's you're making changes that are not so dramatic you can't go back yeah, sometimes you feel the need for change, and then you're like, "Should I move to, you know, Costa Rica?" I knew that was your <laughs> Join a cult. choice. So yeah. I thought the best were the first two were the stronger. Exactly. Paint the bathroom, cut your hair before you do anything else. Move to Costa Rica. Um, no, if that's all great. else fails. Yeah. Also, like it's gonna be spring soon. You're in that vibe. You want to like change it up, mix it up, see who you're gonna be. I think that's great. Um, okay, you don't think it's a mistake? I don't think so. I think it's gonna be really okay. cute. And you have like a perfect face. So like if, if I cut my hair into a bob, my head would just look like a tomato. I'm not exact. I'm not saying this for like, please do not back this. <laughs> Don't be like, no. No, 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 I just know it. It is a fact. It's okay. I feel good. I've made peace with it. I have to have at least three feet of hair at all times. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just for, for you know, for uh, proportions. I mean, your hair is so magical. Mine is kind of like take it or leave it. So I'm like, why not just go for it? My friend Jennifer, who just came a couple of weeks ago to trim and like fix everything that I've been doing for the last year, um, she, she knows me so well. I'll be like, okay, I need to trim. But she's like, but actually don't take any hair off. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. Just, like, I'll look on the floor and be like, that looks like at least an inch. It's got no more. 
Um, but I did think about going pink. I thought about doing a rose gold. Oh, yum. Yeah. I just am such a crazy cat of not being able to go back, you know? Like, I'm such a, like an earth sign in that way. I'm like, Ugh. Me too. Me too. A double earth. So I'm yeah. with you 100%. And I just try to keep it as natural as possible. But I'm like, maybe I'll just go, you know, try something new. Rose gold would be so pretty on you. I, when you said pink, I was kind of scared, but not, you know, yeah, but yeah, I think not the like rose... a full, like cotton candy, like, yeah. a, you know, almost like a pinky, like red, very light. That. Like um, as much as Nicole Kidman or, yeah. Maybe a little less a even. Little like less, my friend yeah. Jennifer actually has this like rose gold kind of vibe going on and it's so beautiful on her. And like warm, like a warm honey, but with a little, yeah. Yeah. Like with a little bit of like more pink to it. Yeah. But not like lavender vibe. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard. I know. I know. Yeah. You got to talk these things out. I was with my friend. We were talking about writing and then I was literally doing the same thing. I was like, tell me what you think about this hair idea. What did she say? <laughs> um, She supported me. It's literally her haircut. So I was like, okay, hear me out. <laughs> she's we are yeah like a troop of sisters here so sometimes you see something like that on someone and it you're just like i i need that yeah well hers is longer and natural blonde i think guys you know who knows these days but it looks i think she's natural but i saw a picture of emma stone as what inspired it and then um naomi watts okay yeah yeah very you know who else has an amazing like chic blonde fob is erin featherston Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think you could pull it off because then you like your flamboyance. It's like a nice, neutral, <laughs> gorgeous backdrop for just who you are. Well, you know? Wow. That's so nice of you to say. Today on the show, we are doing something a little different that we've wanted to do um, and sort of branching off into other industries where the schedule is like very broken, a lot of travel, a lot of away time. And so we have our first Broadway partner and somebody who's also in a very intense transition, transitional period, Kelly Cervantes. She's an award-winning writer, speaker, and advocate, best known for her blog, Inchstones, and debut book, Normal Broken, the grief companion for when it's time to heal, but you're not sure you want to. She's been published in the Chicago Tribune, Cosmopolitan, and Fortune, as well as featured on MSNBC, The New York Times, and CNN. Born and raised in the Midwest, Kelly resides in Maplewood, New Jersey, with her husband, Miguel, their children and dogs, Tabasco and Sriracha. (laughs) (laughs) I can't. Welcome to the show. Who are currently both at my feet as we we speak. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What kind of dogs? Uh, Sriracha is um, a Bernadoodle, but she does not look like one. She's like, she kind of looks like an overgrown dachshund. And Tabasco is a cockapoo, but he is a lot more poo than cock. So, there you go. <laughs> oh, I got it. It happens. <laughs> I never thought uh, we would hear it. 11 a.m. So I, I have to admit, I actually stole that from when Miguel was doing, um, so he did American Idiot on Broadway. And so we had the opportunity to hang out with the band a little bit and Billy Joe Armstrong and his wife, Adrian were just so lovely. And they had a cockapoo as well. And we were like exchanging photos and he was like, yeah, ours is a lot more cock than poo. Yours is more poo than cock. And I was like, I'm totally stealing that forever and ever. Oh my gosh. I'm sure there's a lot of history that I'm really excited to hear about and, and learn about, but we're going to start off with what are you juggling this week? Right now, we are juggling transitioning. Major, major. I feel like everything in our life right now is... So Miguel ended his run in Hamilton. He had been in the production for almost eight years, um, over 2,000 performances, and he had his last show on January 7th. And so we are on week three of transitioning him back into the family. And um, it is... um, I, I I was super naive. I thought it was going to be a lot easier than than it was because he and I have done this before over and over again, but um, we have not done this over and over again with children. So um, this has been interesting. So I am juggling that. I am working on marketing my book, working on book two. Um, 
and generally just trying to figure out how I also fit into this transition and what I want out of my life, you know, and then kids and sports and rehearsals and practices and all of the things. Wow. Wow. That's <laughs> so how long have you been together in total? Uh, so we started dating in January of 2006. So what is that? 18 years? Gee, many yeah. Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's awesome. So the last eight years, though, have been dedicated to one particular project. Yes. So he um, landed the role of Hamilton in the spring of 2016. And prior to that, I was I was the breadwinning mama jama. I worked for Tom Colicchio's restaurant group and um, coordinated and sold events at his largest property. And um, I bought our family's first home. I was really proud. I worked crazy hours. And when Miguel was in a show, we our trains would literally pass each other. He would be going into the city to go do a show and I would be going home to pick Jackson, our, our oldest, um, up from daycare. He was two at the time. I mean, it was we saw each other that that year we saw each other Sunday nights, Sunday mornings and Monday nights. And that was the extent of our relationship for a year. And then that show ended as they all do. And, um, he was, he was home and it was, um, he sort of took over all the home responsibilities cause I was working 60 plus hours. And then, I was about to transition. I had gotten this great new opportunity with another restaurant group. This was going to be a big move up in my career. And it was my last day working for Tom Colicchio's group. I'm out to dinner with my colleagues celebrating. And Miguel calls and he's like, babe, <laughs> so Hamilton. I was like, yeah. He's like, I booked it. Um, I'm going to do it for a month in New York and then we're moving to Chicago. And I was like, cool. I mean, I was so excited. This was huge. This was huge for his career, huge for our family, financial security, all of like, this is like the thing. I was so crazy excited. And then I'm like on the train on the way home. And I was like, oh shit. I have to tell this new job that I'm not starting. I have to start figuring out moving to Chicago. And I quite literally overnight went from being our family's breadwinner to being a stay-at-home mom theater wife. Wow, life can change so fast. Yeah, it um, it, it would it took like a year. It took me a solid year to adjust to that transition and not like totally resent him. Um, also. I should say that at that exact same time that Miguel was auditioning and all of this change was happening in our marriage and for our family, our daughter, who was seven months old at the time, had just been diagnosed with epilepsy. And that summer when Miguel was on Broadway and we're trying to figure out moving to Chicago, she was diagnosed with infantile spasms, which is a particularly devastating form of pediatric epilepsy. And we would spend a month in the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, and she had a major developmental regression that she would never recover from. And all the other symptoms started piling on. And so we were also, I, I didn't just become a, a stay-at-home mom and theater wife. I was also a practicing to be a nurse slash pharmacist slash physical therapist slash all of the things to take care of her as well. So it was, um, it was wild. It was, a, it was, um, it was a wild time. I can't imagine experiencing all that change and all of that sort of like identity shift at once. Um, and then obviously having just this horrifying event happening. The fact that you are here with us and like having this conversation even is remarkable. Thank you. Um, it is not without incredible support from Miguel. Um as much as he was able. And um, we had an incredible support system in Chicago. I, I, they were amazing. We had such an amazing support system while we were there. And, and my family flying in whenever we needed them to was, um, I, I always tell everyone, don't be afraid to ask for help. Yeah. Like yeah. it took me a year to learn that lesson. And that I think was what finally helped me like break through 
was realizing that asking for help was a strength and not a weakness. That's wonderful. You said you're from the Midwest, not Chicago, but close by. No, so I was born in St. Louis and raised in Omaha, Nebraska. So Midwest girl. And then um, I have always been one of these people who was just very aware that there was a lot more out there in the world. And Omaha started feeling super duper small. Um, And so I went as far away as I possibly could for college. I went to school in Boston and then headed to New York after that because then Boston was too small. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, I relate. I'm from Minnesota and I also, I went to Texas. I went as far as I could. The opposite direction. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then ended up in New York also with my husband. So yeah, it's a trajectory. Yeah. 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 I love that. Well, um, that was a lot of beautiful information. It seems like the highs and lows were kind of living together a lot at that time. Um, What is something else that listeners would be surprised to hear about your life? Ooh, um, they might be surprised to hear that Broadway life is not super glamorous, <laughs> which I'm sure that you can relate to. Um, and just the, the the lack of uncertainty. Um, I talked to so many people who just assume that, you know, after one show, there's the next show. And that it's just sort of this, like, you make it to Broadway, and now you're a Broadway actor. And that's just how it goes. And that is 100% not the reality of it. You know, you can do a show. If a show is open for a year, that is considered a success. So, um, and then it closes and then you're unemployed. And then you're back to auditioning and back to the grind, hoping to get another show. Um, so it is a lot of ups and downs. Like, so when we went to go buy our first house, I had to buy it because the um they said that Miguel's income was even though he was making money his income was not um stable enough so they wouldn't even count it because he couldn't show that he had held a job for longer than a year by nature of the industry um so much (laughs) (laughs) everything's just a little bit more tricky when you know when you don't have that stable consistent well it's it's like our our entire economic structure is based on a income model that doesn't necessarily exist anymore. You know, my dad worked at the same company his entire life. I don't know any single person my age who has had the same job since entering the workforce. Uh, so it's you know the ups and downs are there, and and I think we're navigating a wildly different way of living but the financial structure has not changed at all i feel like they should look at your venmo history and be like yeah. are they paying half of their dinner tab back consistently <laughs> interview my friend you know yes i love that <laughs> i feel like our generation is very resourceful like if we're not making it consistently in one way we're going to find another avenue oh my gosh absolutely absolutely we are constantly with the side hustles and, you know, I'm like, okay, so the, you know, I, we knew that Miguel's time was ending and I was like, all right, now it's time for me to try and figure out how to financially contribute to the family again. So I wrote this book and public speaking, Miguel just opened a batting cage. I <laughs> I want to go. I'm going to bring Addie there. It looks me. Yes, you need to. It's so fun. It's so cool. But it, I mean, like I, these, I mean, he's, he's just as ADHD as they come. And, um, you gotta be investing. You're investing in the future. He's a serial entrepreneur and I'm just along for the ride. (laughs) Who are we kidding? (laughs) But he keeps my life exciting. Yeah. With the two of you, I'm like, you have a lot of projects. You have a lot of things going on. Yeah. We wouldn't have it any other way though. Yeah. I find I'm my most productive when I have to be, you know? Yes. I actually just read something relevant to both of you. um, And it was like this creative Instagram that I follow. You know, we think that this creative inspiration comes from having flexibility, but that when you impose a deadline, it just puts these parameters. It has to show up within that space. And 
I thought it was interesting because it's sort of like applicable to life. Yeah. Give yourself like some space to create. It'll come. I just gave myself an arbitrary deadline yesterday and I was like, that's it. This is when the first draft is done. (laughs) Because you you kind of have to, I have to do that. You should start like a writer's accountability club where you check in just like once a month. Yes. You're like, show me your pages. I'm in. Yeah. And then we have the Instagram and we're like, everyone working on a project right now, you put that due date right down in the comments and you tattoo it. (laughs) And then we shame them if they don't. There has to be some repercussion. (laughs) We'll write it down in the calendar. We'll message them. Yeah. (laughs) Be like, we saw that you put this date down. Are you done with your first draft? I love it. I'm Um, on board. Okay, good, good. Well, there's three of us at least. So obviously there's a lot to learn here. You know, you've had so many of the compartments of your life and change and shifting and Maybe you can share with us three things that you are proud of, past, present, and future. Yeah. Um, I am incredibly proud of the way that I learned to be adaptable because that was not something that I was, maybe I was not innately born with that. I am sort of stubborn and I like things to be a certain way. And um, when our life sort of flipped on its head, I resisted it and that didn't go well. And so I had to figure out how to adapt. And that is a skill that I am so unbelievably proud of because I love the idea, you know, there's the, we have the, um, the idea that, you know, survival of the fittest and that we so often think that that means like the strongest or the fastest or the smartest. And that is not what Darwin meant when he said that. What he meant was the one that is most able to adapt to survive. And and we have, you know, you look at, you know, T-Rex was so strong and fierce and he died out. And there were other types of, um, of humans that existed that were potentially smarter than homo sapiens, but they died out and we are still here. And you know, what has survived all of that is cockroaches. And I know we don't like to be compared necessarily to cockroaches, but I am telling you to be the motherfucking cockroach because that is how you survive. That is how you adapt. It is adapting to whatever scenario is thrown at you. And Um, and that's what I had to do during, during my daughter's life. I had to figure out how to adapt to whatever the circumstances was, were she was having seizures or she would stop breathing. We had to go to the hospital, whatever it was. And I was constantly learning, constantly adapting to whatever her body threw at us. And then when she died, um, four years ago, just before her fourth birthday, I had to once again, figure out how to adapt to this next new normal. And that has taken years. And I think I'll be figuring out how to adapt to this normal for the rest of my life. And that's, that's grief. And that's, I'm, I've accepted that. Um, But being able to adapt is a superpower. And, and it doesn't mean that you like adapt in a day, you give yourself an adjustment period, but it is the willingness to try to learn to adapt. And that is, um, I have been exceedingly proud of myself for figuring out how to do that over and over and over again. Um, in the present, I am, you know, I am currently freaking, really freaking proud of myself for writing a book and getting it out there. And it's, it was on the USA Today bestseller list. And I knew nothing about the literary world and how all of this worked. And it has been a crash course. And I've loved every minute of it. And I'm, really freaking proud of myself for that. In the future, I am proud or hope to be proud of how I navigate this next period of our life where I try and figure out what I want my career to be, what I want my life to look like, and being open to whatever feels right in the moment. I think I have always been a planner and I have had these ideas of what my life should look like and what 
other people think it should look like. And I am trying to be open to allowing it to be what feels right in the moment. So I don't have, like, while I am crazy proud of myself for being a best-selling author, that doesn't mean that that is now the goal and the pinnacle for everything moving forward. As long as I am creating, as long as I am able to emotionally, financially, physically, all the way support my family, um, as long as I can feel fulfilled and connected to my children, those that are here and those that aren't, then I hope I can find some sort of peace and happiness in that because I'm, I'm sort of one of those people that always feels like it's never enough and I'm trying to find enough. So hopefully in the future, I can be proud of myself for feeling like I am achieving enough. Wow, that was very inspiring. I don't think I've ever heard the adaptability piece explained that way. And my whole life feels a little, I'm a little shaken up. I'm like, oh no, oh no. I've had like three minutes of goosebumps and I don't know what to do about it. I'm just like clicking on my leg over here. Yeah, I'm gonna have to listen to this a few times, rewind it, listen again. There was a lot of of insight in there. And congratulations on your book. That's wonderful. Yeah. Join us next August to discover the delicious vino of the Lisbon region on a six-day journey of creative exploration, wine tasting, and visits to the vineyards and producers of the area. In Portugal, our days will be filled with creativity, culture, libation, and good company. Discover more at linktree backslash bandwives and sign up for your next big adventure today. Will you tell us a little more about A Normal Broken and some of the story behind it, which you mentioned a little bit, and then the process of writing and publishing? Yeah, absolutely. So um, after my daughter died, um, so I was a, a wreck. I I mean, we knew that she was dying, um, but she was my whole life. Every, I woke up in the morning, my entire day, I, I woke up with her multiple times a night. Like everything in my life revolved around her. And then she was gone and I didn't know what to do with myself anymore. Like I didn't, I didn't know how to wake up. I didn't know how to stay asleep. I didn't, I didn't have a schedule anymore. Uh, I was forced into retirement from this job that I loved, that I had grown to love, that I, I resented in the beginning, but found more fulfillment and power in than um, I could ever imagine. Or I will, I think that I will ever feel again. And my mom is a therapist. And she kept sending me different books on grief and I would get through like the first chapter or maybe just the prologue and then I would close them. And, and I, my point of frustration with so many of these books was that they assumed that I wanted to heal. They came to that first page, assuming that this was something that I wanted and I didn't. I did not want to heal. I wanted nothing to do with healing. I wanted to sit in my grief. I wanted to miss my daughter. And I rejected that wholly. What I didn't understand necessarily was what healing actually meant. I had this idea that healing meant letting go or moving on or forgetting in some way. And that was ludicrous. I was never going to let go or forget my daughter, like not happening. And then two things happened in the same month, um, a little after a year after Adelaide had passed away. And um, the first was I had a couple glasses of wine and drunk signed up for a grief retreat, which I discovered the following morning when I opened my email and they were like, we can't wait to see you. I was like, what the hell did drunk Kelly do last night? But I figured it would either be like incredible writing material or, um, or, or it would be great. Or, and it turns out that it was both. Um, so it was for grieving mothers. And we came from all different walks of life. We came from across the country, but it happened to be like an hour and a half, two hours from my home, which was great. And it was, it was this beautiful experience where, you know, someone would be sitting there crying and another mom would just go over and sit next to them and hand them a Kleenex and hold their hand and not necessarily say anything. We sat with each other just in that dark 
grief. And I realized that that was so much of what I was looking for. I wasn't looking for someone to make it better. I wasn't looking for silver linings. I wasn't, I just wanted someone to sit with me in the dark and hold my hand and let me know that they were there with me and they weren't trying to push me along or push me out of it. And and then the next night we're all sitting outside around a campfire and someone brings out a speaker and everyone is like dancing and singing. It's like 90s pop and R&B and somewhere between like Backstreet Boys and Belle DeVoe, we are just like feeling our, our groove. And it was just this beautiful experience where for the first time, I mean, even since before Adelaide died, if I'm being honest, I was... I allowed myself to feel some kind of happy. And I realized it was because while I felt broken, just totally irrevocably shattered in my life, I didn't feel like I fit in with my my friends. I didn't fit in with like the epilepsy and disability community anymore because I didn't have a child in that community. I didn't even feel like I necessarily fit in with my family because Miguel and I were grieving drastically differently. But with these women who I had nothing in common with, except for the fact that we had all lost a child, I got to feel normal broken with them, this sense of normalcy and my brokenness. And that was such a beautiful feeling that like all pretenses were erased. And then about a week later, or maybe two weeks later, it was Joe Biden's inauguration. President Biden was being inaugurated and Um, The night before, he held a COVID-19 memorial ceremony. And during that ceremony, um, he gave a speech and he said, to heal, we must remember. And I thought someone just like punched me in the stomach because I had never thought of healing as remembering. And here, like, regardless of politics, this man knows grief, right? He has lost a, a wife an infant child, an adult child, like this man understands grief. And I had never thought of healing as remembering and that to heal, I needed to carry Adelaide with me into the future. I needed to learn how to grieve and find happiness that it wasn't forgetting. It wasn't moving on. It was moving forward with her that that is what healing looks like. It meant always remembering. It meant remembering the good and the bad and everything in between and sharing her memory. That I could do. That was possible to me. And so that was really where the book was born out of, where normal broken came from, the idea that being a grief companion, I don't believe in grief guides. I think that's BS. We all grieve differently. There is no step-by-step stages that we all go through, um, it's not linear. So I wanted this to be a companion. I wanted it to feel like someone was sitting in the dark with you, holding your hand, handing you the tissue and then making you laugh afterwards. And that it started from a place, I don't even get to in this book, a place of like even discussing healing until about halfway through. And I also say in the prologue, like take it out of order. You don't, none of these chapters need to be read linearly. I don't expect your grief journey to look like mine. So if one chapter is speaking to you one day and another chapter is speaking to you another, then take it out of order and, and let the book meet you where you are. And so, yeah, it's not, um, grief is heavy, but it also has lighter moments. And so I, I, um, it, it, there are funny parts and, and, um, because grief is weird. And I think sometimes we have to laugh at ourselves, but that's really how the book was born. My writing process. So I started a blog um, while Adelaide was still alive. And I most, I wrote about like this medically complex parenting epilepsy, and also this wild journey that we were on where Miguel is like singing the national anthem at a bears game or performing at a black tie gala or, you know, performing on Broadway. And in between all of this, I'm checking my phone to see if our nurse babysitter is reporting if Adelaide has had a seizure or, 
you know, I, we are leaving Adelaide in the hospital so that I can go support Miguel when he is performing at this event. Or Miguel has come and slept on a couch next to Adelaide's hospital bed in between his matinee and evening performances. And so just sort of sharing this wild chaos that was going on. And it was incredibly cathartic to me. I got to connect with other parents who were on a similar journey. And I got to process these wild emotions. And so naturally, I just sort of kept that going after Adelaide died, except instead of talking about parenting a a complex kiddo, I was writing about my grief. And that ended up becoming the structure for the book. And I found a wonderful agent. And then we tried to pitch it. And it wasn't easy. Child loss is not something people like to acknowledge. It has somehow people think of it as like this, to quote Hamilton, the unimaginable, and we like to leave it that way. I actually had one editor tell me she wished that I had um, not lost a child, that I had lost a spouse instead because she liked my writing, but she didn't want to do something with child loss. So it was, um, it was, we finally found an editor and a publisher. It's a tough industry. We were talking about it just before I got on. So yeah, no surprises. It's chaos. No, I mean, the wild things that you hear. So, I mean, it was not, um, it was not easy to find the editor. And, but um, I did, my editor was incredible. The book came out. It's been incredibly well received. And I just, I'm, I feel so good. And I'm so proud that this is out there in the world, that it can help people, but also sort of selfishly that I get, to keep Adelaide's memory alive through this book and and share her and um, what parent doesn't want to talk about their child. Really, I mean, it's all the things that you're saying, right? Like these highs and these lows and these dichotomies and the coexistence of the worst grief you've ever felt and something lighthearted and something beautiful. And I can't remember what the name was, but you had posted uh, maybe a year ago or something you had posted about the space that was getting threatened to be shut down. Yes, yes, it was the it was the grief retreat that I attended. They um, they got kicked out of the community that they were in because the neighborhood did not like the presence of of grieving mothers. They didn't want to acknowledge child death and they didn't know how to explain that to their children. And they thought that it was going to harm their children, that there was a grief retreat for grieving mothers in their community. I I remember reading that on your Instagram. And I mean, you're such a beautiful writer. I, everything that you post is just so well-written and, you know, I have not had to experience what you've experienced, but reading that post about something that was so vital to so many people. And obviously you're a testament to what it can do for people experiencing a loss like that, that people would even consider not being supportive or not recognizing how vital that is to a community and to people and to humanity. I mean, it's bigger than people who have lost to be supportive in this society and to, to be there for each other and love each other. And I just, I mean, reading that broke, my heart and to see you here and this like beautiful book and this experience that you're sharing with people and the work that you're doing for people is just tremendous. It really is. Um, Thank you. Thank you for sharing. It's really. Well, it's so clear that we are all already know this, but it's so clear that we are way behind in the U S as far as like how we approach death, how we, view it obviously how uncomfortable we are with it how we push it away and push those who are grieving away and so I'm it's a major testament to the need you know and to your writing of course obviously that it was a bestseller you know and that people are like we actually can welcome this sort of dialogue into the world yeah I you know it's we have a culture where we want all of the beautiful pretty things and that's you know it is you know, the Instagram posts of, you know, I had a tough day, but I'm turning my face to the sunlight and I'm going to push forward. And, and that is the piece that we want to see the resilience. But what we fail to acknowledge is the amount of work and how ugly it is to get from the place of like bone crushing, difficult times in our life 
And that that period of work of processing and how difficult and not Instagrammable that is before we can get to the resilience and and the the piece where we can move forward, where we are continuously healing. And um, but we don't like to acknowledge that part because it's not pretty. And we want to rush through it. There is this, you know, we, other people being uncomfortable around us makes us uncomfortable. And so we want to shut that down and we want to try and make people better. But sometimes I would argue almost all of the time you have to sit in the uncomfortable for a while before you can take those, those initial steps forward. Yeah, that's so, it's so true. Another interesting aspect, which, you know, if there's anything you don't want to speak on, or if you want to gloss over, we can take out of the episode, but was my kind of my thought while you were speaking on this was this in, in the US, though, there is this sort of turn towards the spiritual in these um, situations. And I was just kind of curious about like your journey in that or through that or or pushing that aside, I don't know, like what your experiences was, was with like the spiritual aspect um, during this. Yeah, so I grew up going to church every Sunday, very involved in my youth group, church choir, all of the things. And then I started pushing against that a little bit. I actually ended up getting a minor in religious studies in college <laughs> because I was so fascinated by like the structure of religion and like where it all comes from. And so I had generally sort of in my adulthood pushed a lot of religion away um, and, and through Adelaide's life too. I would very much bristle when people would tell me that, you know, God had a plan or God only gives you what you can handle or, you know, and it, it was just, I would just roll my eyes because I was like, I can't handle this. I am in therapy. I am on medication. There's no part of me that is handling this. Um, I digress. <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm following You're right there with you. Right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> totally relate. Yeah. So when she died, you know, I, I wasn't looking toward God for comfort or for understanding. And it would take me a while to come to a spiritual understanding. I actually found solace in the idea that, because I wanted to feel Adelaide with me. I wanted to know that she was still with me in some way. And I did feel her at times, not as much as I would have liked to, but there were moments where I was like, yeah, you know, this is a little weird and unexplainable. Like I'm walking along the beach and singing a song that I used to always sing to her. And I found a perfect sand dollar on the beach. And coins are like money, symbols for money are a way that she will come be present in my life. I We have this toy cash register. And I was, we, we ended up adopting another child and I was singing a song to her that I had usually sung to Adelaide. And the register was totally off and it just started beeping out of nowhere. And I was like, well, Adelaide's telling me that she's pissed at me. She doesn't want me singing that song. That's her song. <laughs> um, and so it's just very bizarre, these different ways that through money, but a child's version of money, right? Like a sand dollar or a toy cash register. It's not like, physical money because she was four when she died. It is a child symbol of money. And, um, and so are there these different sort of undeniable weird things that happen. And I came to fall in love with the idea that, you know, energy doesn't die, right? It just transforms. And um, I love that that is like a scientifically proven piece. And so I can find space in both my mind and my heart that yes, her physical form is no longer here, but the energy that lived in her body is still exists. And that is out and it is a part of the world. And that is the pieces that can come and I can still feel her presence in that way. 
And that to me brings me some peace. And I've also sort of decided that whether that is true or not, whether it is her or it is not, it doesn't really matter as long as it makes me feel better. And I'm okay with that. I totally agree and love that. I feel like as far as that spiritual side in general, it's like if it's helping you, if it's bolstering you, if it's adding to your life, then it's wonderful. 100%. And I feel that way about religion too. It is not my cup of tea, but for anyone else that finds peace or solace there, then as long as it's not harming someone else, then do you, boo. Yeah. And as long, I think, as it's not rushing to fix something like yeah. As a kid growing up, like that's what religion kind of was doing. Was mm-hmm. like, oh, it's okay, it's fine. God's got this. Go, go to live your life. Get over it. You know, I had a friend who lost her father really young, and that was kind of it. They were like, "Well, he's in a better place. Go ahead." You're like, "Great, but I'm not in a better place." Yeah, yeah. grief is for us, right? Grief is yeah. this plane. Well, that's um, the thing. Grief is at its core. Grief is very selfish, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Grief is for us. And that doesn't make it wrong. It doesn't make it bad, but there is this acknowledgement. And I think that that was another piece that sort of helped me come to a place of allowing happiness back into my life as well, because grief wasn't benefiting. My grief wasn't benefiting Adelaide. Mm -hmm. My grief wasn't benefiting my children who are still with me. It wasn't benefiting my marriage. I needed it. It was something that I, because grief is love. Grief is the love that you have left over, right? I think we we kind of understand that thanks to, you know, modern books that have come out and, you know, um, Marvel TV shows. Um, but it's still sort of a selfish thing and we need to do it for us. And we need to take that time and that space for us. But I think we also have to recognize that it is just for us. And at some point not moving toward healing, not moving toward allowing happiness into our lives, then that does eventually become some sort of negative selfish space. And and that has to be acknowledged too. What advice do you have for other partners of entertainers out there? Partners who have jobs that are just very demanding. Consuming. Mm-hmm. What advice do you have for the partners at home, whether it's tips or tricks, uh, encouragement, and how has that advice shifted now that Miguel is in flux? Yeah. Um, So two pieces. One is um, communication is everything. During Adelaide's life, Miguel and I would check in with each other like once a week, just laying in bed in the dark and have very open and honest conversations about where we were at with her treatment, with how we were feeling about our life. And that was like being in the dark, it felt safer too. Um, And so we would have those weekly check-ins. And then after she died, we stopped having those weekly check-ins. And that was very detrimental to our relationship. And we had to figure out how to have those those check-ins again and just sort of talk about our where we were at in our grief and what we needed and what we were capable of providing to the other person. Um, and that is something that now we are figuring out once again. You know, Miguel's schedule for the better part of eight years has been that he has Sundays off and Mondays off. And so it was just sort of very structured and that like Sundays we were just exhausted or there were events or there were things that we had to do, kids, activities, whatever. And then Monday nights we sort of held for us. That was, you know, when we would have those conversations, it was also a designated sex night because sometimes you have to schedule sex to make sure that that keeps happening um, so that you have that physical closeness. Mm Um, and th- that was like our night together, even if we didn't go anywhere, it was just dedicated to making sure that our marriage was healthy and scheduling that time. And it's interesting because now that we are going through this next transition where he is technically around more, although I have to say we went from Broadway, which is nights and weekends to he's now open to batting cage, which is shockingly also nights and weekends. <laughs> Um, but he should be home more. 
So, but it's like, a, it's, this is, this is a nice reminder to me that, you know, even though our time isn't limited in that way, where we have to schedule communication and sex, that we should probably still be scheduling communication and sex to make sure that these things happen because they're, they're, they're what make a marriage, a marriage and not just like a best friendship. Right. So we have to make time for those things and, and purposefully schedule them even when our schedules are bananas and maybe especially when they're not. So true. I feel like after 15 years of marriage, I've learned if you're not actively creating it and working towards something, just entropy happens far too yes. quickly. So I feel like yeah. that's really wise advice. Schedule sex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably not what you were expecting after all of this like deep talk on grief but, but yeah no but again the the dichotomy of life <laughs> you know here we are we're doing great guys everybody's doing great it's fine. It's fine yeah that's what it boils down to and I think that's so true okay so now I'm really I'm really excited for this question to hear your answer um, what do you know to be true about yourself, the world, and the universe? Um, what I know to be true about myself is that I can, I am strong enough. I can handle just about anything that is thrown at me. And I hope that the world universe does not take that as a challenge, <laughs> but, um, but I, I can figure it out. And I, and there is an incredible power and strength that comes from knowing that you can figure out or survive most anything. And I think all of us can, it is just knowing that you will, it, that doesn't mean that it'll be easy to do so, but that you, you can come out on the other side and it may take years but we can survive. We will always be surviving. It is an, it is an action. We are never survivors. We are always surviving. And that I know about myself is that I will always be surviving whatever is thrown at me. Um, what I know about the world is that it will always be chaos, but that doesn't mean that it's not also beautiful and that we shouldn't fight for the beautiful. And that just because it's contradictory doesn't make the beauty false. And so we have to accept that both things can be true and not let that tear us down and not feel like the beauty is not worth fighting for. Um, what I know about the universe is that it is going to fling asteroids at us whenever it damn well pleases, that the asteroids are going to crater at our feet, that they are not fairly rationed, that we do not know what they will come, and that we do not have our own personal Bruce Willis's to blast them out of the sky. Um, but we will go along for the ride, and they will fall at our feet when they do, and we'll figure it out. And as unfair as that might be, as unpredictable, unpredictable as it can be, we still are so incredibly fortunate to be alive and to be living these lives that we have. And so regardless of the asteroids, regardless of the shit that happens in our lives, I am at a place where I can still feel grateful. And I know it may sound bizarre coming from someone who's lost a child, but I feel lucky. I do. I think it's, you know, sometimes it's those things that you go through that teach you that deep, you scraping everything out, but there's a lot of room for grief, but then there's a lot of room for gratitude and beauty. And so mm -hmm. it doesn't sound weird to me at all. It sounds kind of logical in a way. It's like you've come through the other side to realize See, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, you know, who are really unhappy, <laughs> who have kind of generally skated along, you know, and so maybe sometimes it is those, those things that that come the asteroids that make the pools. Yeah. Well, we're moving into lighthearted questions. But before I get there, I have one quick one. Aliens, yes or no? Oh, yes, okay. absolutely. Right answer. No, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
There is no way. We are just not that special. Agreed. Totally. (laughs) You're talking about asteroids. I'm like, well, I welcome it. Come. Come on in. (laughs) Okay. So what are you binge watching, reading, or listening to right now? Mm, I am currently listening to um, Tyler Merritt's book. Um, I want to make sure I get the title right. I take my coffee black. Oh my gosh. It is so freaking good. I strongly recommend listening to it. His delivery and performance is freaking phenomenal. I love a memoir there. It's just, I love learning about other people's lives and, and their experiences. And, um, this is quite possibly the best audiobook I have ever listened to. High praise. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I will take the kids to school so that I can listen to it yeah. in the car. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's the mark of whether something is truly good. Like, will I change right. my life to enjoy it? Yes. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm going to write that one down. I haven't heard of that yet. I take my coffee black. Yeah. Okay, okay. good. Well, we love good recommendations. Um, the next question is, what would your theme song be? Ooh. So, <laughs> um. Let's go by the cars. And this has sort of been, I feel like this is like a theme song throughout my life. Like I just need to go and I need to do, and I need to be productive. Um, Although there is one line of the song that I used to sing at the top of my lungs, like running around my house naked when I was three, which is um, I like the nightlife baby. And I am currently in a phase of my life where I am like, I like the nightlife one night a month. Um, And I really, I like, I can go out, I can have a great time. I can, you know, Miguel's last show, we were, you know, partying till four or five in the morning, but um, like one night a month. And then that's the extent of my loving of the nightlife these days. <laughs> well, it's not like you're trying to party all the time. That was a whole different, a whole different song premise. This one's just like, I like it. Yeah. Enjoying, but, yeah. you know, it's making no promises. Yeah. <laughs> I love the cars. My son is like a huge Cars fan. When he, when he was like four, he did a cover of let the good times roll like he oh. like has all the harmonies in there so what? so good yeah so. so good oh i love that i love that so much is this oh this sorry is it. i think this is our last question but we no, don't want to we don't want to let it go we don't want to move on yeah, yeah. No, you're just staring at you guys for the rest look, of the day we have this look um. at each other for <laughs> okay last question what is something small or like a guilty pleasure that you have in the event you ever have time to yourself? Um, so I will sit and like, um, like I will do jigsaw puzzles, but it's gotten to the point because we have dogs and young kids that now I do them on my phone. And I know that that is just like kind of bizarre, (laughs) but I find like, the act of like putting it together and seeing it come together and the productivity of it. Um, so I will sit and do a jigsaw puzzle on my phone. And I, it's just like, I know, but like, if I do it in real life, my four-year-old daughter is going to like destroy it or the dogs will eat the pieces or yeah. I, I, it's weird. I didn't know that was an option. Oh yeah. Until just- yeah. My father yeah. is big into puzzles on his iPad and his tablet. So yeah, he'll just sit there. We're all hanging out, and I'm like, "What you doing, Dad?" He's like, "Puzzles, me and your dad, <laughs> yeah, just right. hanging out, no, doing no. our puzzles on our phone." <laughs> it makes sense for like moms who have like a lot going on, though. I was doing a puzzle. We had my son's birthday this weekend, and there were kids everywhere. And one of my son, my friend's son, is like, he's like ten months old, and is like running. Some it's crazy, but he was like you know, shaking the box. And I'm like, oh, those pieces are, I'm never going to find those again. (laughs) It it was like a cat self-portrait. It was very cute, but I was like, this was a bad idea. Yeah. So yeah. So you got to figure out where you can do your puzzles. Yeah. That's, that's where I figured it out. (laughs) Do you have like a theme that you like? Are you like stars or like any, or. I like landscapes. Landscapes Mm. are good. You can find like the horizon line and do you know you can like and then fill that in there are also usually lots of pretty colors i love color give me all the color yeah, i don't yes yes mm-hmm. i appreciate i cannot like i look at pictures of like kim kardashian's house and it's just like all black white and beige and i'm like i, it, I would go crazy yeah. i need all of the color in my life to be happy yeah 
Yeah, Misha and I were talking earlier and in, in another episode about like how we think color is like going to be back again. Like warm, yellow is the things that were coming back. I need, we're predicting it. I need color. I need sun. Please. Yes. Yeah, it's like life fun. is too heavy. None of yes. this gray. Like it's just. I know. Yeah, I'm a maximalist. So I feel like every few, you know, it's like really out of season right now. There's like this minimalism. And to me, that is just, that is not my vibe at all. No. So. I, I totally feel that play. to my core. Although I keep looking around my house and being like, I wish I was a minimalist. <laughs> or maybe that's just like kids and toys and crap. And I'm like, Ugh. I think you just fill up a space. Like yes. if you have a one bedroom apartment, you'll fill it up. If you have a 10 bedroom house, you'll fill it up. Yep. That's my next off to organize, organize something. I'm like, I've got yeah. to get my sanity back some way. Yeah, mm-hmm. after Christmas, we always have to like, because new stuff comes in and it's like, oh, too much. There's too, this doesn't fit. So then you got to yeah. out with the old. Yes. Cut your hair. I'm gonna... Make a purge. <laughs> yeah. We were going through this before. When you need I'm a change. Next, don't Next episode. Yeah. All, we'll give you a laundry this list of the feel good things yeah. to do to, for yeah. a reset. That aren't like chaotic evil. Like you're like, I got to upend my life and move to a foreign yeah. country and yeah get a new phone number no you don't have to go that far you can just cut no, your hair no. and clean out your closet Dang. yeah get a new makeup organizer and yes. start there <laughs> oh my gosh I just got it's huge it's tremendous it looks like I like a briefcase from 1980 but it's an organizer <laughs> and it has like a mirrored light in it and I'm like this is gonna be who I am I'm like a person who uses a mirror to do my makeup yes. instead of my phone <laughs> while I'm like walking yeah <laughs> And it's like a travel case. So it's like what you're going to bring with you on tour, right? To get, oh, I love that. It's like a train case. It's like a hard shell, but you, there's like a place for brushes. You can put your, I don't know, putting lashes. I'm going to need a link. Yeah. Yeah, I'll send it. Yeah. It's good. And it wasn't like the one that I got targeted on. That's like 400. <laughs> <laughs> this thing looks amazing. Mm-hmm. And I clicked through the link. Oh no, my gosh. No, no, thank I you. I send Adam all the tar- Instagram ads that I get because I'm like, oh, that's a beautiful mirror. And he's like, did you look at the cost? And I'm like, nope, just Instagram. So <laughs> Instagram showed it to me. I wanted to show it to you. They do that. <laughs> they do that though. They're like, guess what? How much does the mirror cost? $1,800. And I'm like, oh, oh, <laughs> time to Google search the knockoff. That's what he said. He's like, can you find an alternative? <laughs> Oh, Instagram is getting real fancy. Trouble. All right. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming thank on. Thank you, ladies. This was awesome. This is such a great combo. And thank you for having me on. Thank you. Everybody have a great week. You too. Bye. Bye.